Turning to God's Word now, uh, and Toby will be reading for us from Luke chapter 3, verses uh, 21 and 22. That's Luke 3, verse 21 and 22. And then Gareth will come and share from God's Word for us this morning. So thank you, Toby, and thank you, Gareth. After all the people had been baptized, Jesus was also baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit came down upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my own dear son, I am pleased with you. Good morning, Orangefields. Good morning, Toby Kennedy. Thank you. You smashed that reading. Well done. Really appreciate that. Um, Gary, thank you for, for leading this morning. Thank you for the worship team, Timothy and the guys. Uh, we, we love you. We're looking forward to hanging out with you tonight on Zoom. Um, we're going to jump in to these words that uh, Toby has read for us, the story of Jesus' baptism. We see this in all four of the Gospels in slightly different ways, but it's such an important story that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about it. Um, and we're looking at it in the midst of this series because the baptism of Jesus is not just a one-time event in history, but it is part of the overall redemptive story of the Bible, the story that we get to be part of. And we're exploring that more and more in this series, the, the story we live in is the story we live out. So let us pray for a second, and then we're going to dive in. Father, we, we love you. We love your words. And we love baptism. If we're honest, it throws up all kinds of questions. And at moments in your church, it's been quite divisive. And yet, Lord, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of redemptive promise that we see and get to participate in. So, God, this morning, um, hide me behind the cross. Let people only see your son, Jesus Christ to hear your words speaking truth into each one of our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray, and make these words come alive in our lives. And all of God's people said, amen. I like it. I like it. There's a ripple from the few people that are here streaming saying amen. Can't wait until the day there's 500 here saying amen, and we get to hear those voices together. So yeah, I want to talk this morning about baptism. Baptism is one of the most beautiful, one of the most meaningful, one of the deepest, one of the richest gifts that God gives to the church. We call it a sacrament. The other one is communion, the Lord's Supper. And yet baptism is also one of the most controversial and I guarantee you, even within our tight-knit, loving Presbyterian family in Orangefield, so many of you think so many different things about baptism. And I'm not here today to go, this is what you have to think. Because we, we want to keep the door open, and we want to keep the conversation open. But I want to share what I believe Scripture teaches and some of what we believe as Presbyterians this morning. My own baptism was spectacular. I was three months old. My parents put me in a dress 
Uh, I've forgiven them for it now. I got a lot of counseling to get over that one. The minister held me and he looked down and he said, I've never seen a more beautiful baby. You know, as he put water on my head, there was choirs that stood and, and sang. And as they crescendoed, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit came and just descended upon me. And everybody stood and clapped afterwards. And I was three months old and I can't remember a thing of it. You, you, I'm hoping you recognize I'm joking. Um, I was three months old. I honestly can't remember a thing about it. I'm not sure what I wore or what happened. And yet, with all sincerity, it is the most or one of the most significant moments in my journey of faith, even though I can't remember a thing about it. And that's where I want to go this morning in our sermon. I wonder how your baptism was. Were you dipped, dunked, poured on, sprinkled? Does it matter? Is one better than the other? Or perhaps you were double dipped, were you? As a child and then again as an adult? Is that okay? Uh, all these questions. Were you an infant, a baby of parents who were Christians? Were you a baby of parents who weren't Christians and you were baptized? Were you a teenager? Were you an adult who um, gave your life to Jesus and then got baptized? How did it happen? And is one better than the other? Is one more important than the other? Is one real and the other's not? Let me bring us right back um, to the 16th century, Westminster of Divines. Um, they really godly, intelligent people came together um, across a few different churches in the Reformed tradition and put together a statement of belief that we call the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it's really complicated and hard to read. And they recognized that not everybody would be able to get their heads around it. So they, they distilled it down into the, the catechism, the Westminster Catechism. And that was still a bit clunky. So they, they, they dumbed it down a little bit more into the shorter catechism. And that's the one that, you know, I, I, I like to read. Um, I'm sure you've all read the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'll stick with the, the shorter catechism. But in the shorter catechism, there's the question, what is baptism? And the answer it gives, it's question number 94. You can Google it if you want. But the, the answer it gives, baptism is a sacrament. This is old language, so go with me. Where in the washing with water, in the name of the Father and the Son, and that wait for it, the Holy Ghost, um, doth signify and seal are engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. I love the fact that people way more intelligent than me have wrestled with this for hundreds of years. And I've been thinking about this for hundreds of years and, and help us understand that in statements like this. Baptism is the sign and the seal of God's promise of grace on the life of the individual. The water symbolizes the washing away of our sins as we are pointed to the cross and are reminded that on the cross, Jesus died for us. And when he rose again, we can have our sins washed away and forgiven. Baptism is the sign of our regeneration that inside when we become Christians, we are made new, justified, just as if you never sinned, the old Sunday school answer. Baptism is the sign of our engrafting, our welcome into Jesus and the invisible church, 
which is the church of true believers that stretches through history right into heaven. And it is the sign of our welcome into the visible church, which is the people here in Orangefield. That's our local expression of the visible church. There's a whole lot going on there, isn't there? Baptism's pretty cool. So we have all these different questions about baptism. And yet when we look at this text that Toby read for us this morning of Jesus' baptism, and we can read about it in Luke's gospel, we can read about it in Matthew's, we can read about it in Mark's gospel, we can read not about his baptism, but about a conversation about his baptism in John's gospel, one question rises above the rest. Has to. If you sit with it long enough, you'll get there. One question rises above the rest. And that's this. Why on earth was Jesus baptized? Like, think about it. The forgiveness of sin, the welcome into relationship with God to become part of the church. Surely he's Jesus. He already is all those things. He doesn't need to repent and be forgiven. He's been part of the Trinity for all eternity. The church was his idea. Why on earth does Jesus have to repent? Or not repent, be baptized. Jesus didn't have to repent. Strike that from the record. Edit that out. Ignore that. Why did Jesus have to be baptized? Well, the story had it that John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, by the way, um, was in the Jordan. John was crazy. He was nuts. He was one of those cool characters we have in church that we just love, but they make us a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, John the Baptist was in the Jordan preaching to Jewish people saying, you must repent and turn back to God and repent for the forgiveness of your sins and come and get baptized. And that's the symbol of your sins being washed away. So people were flocking to hear John. They were getting baptized in the Jordan. We're told Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River and said to John, I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized. And John freaked out slightly. John was like, this is weird. Jesus, I know who you are. I've heard the stories of your birth, the, the, the angels and the immaculate conception. And, and, and you're the kid who never got in trouble through school. You never once got detention. Your mom never told you off. And I know who you are. At least I think I do. Why do you have to get baptized, Jesus? This is about repenting of your sins and and, and, and finding forgiveness in God and turning back to it. Why do you have to get baptized? And actually, when you read it in Matthew's gospel, they have this conversation. And John says to Jesus, listen, seriously, you should be the one baptizing me. I'm sinful. You're not. And yet Jesus says it has to happen. And John baptizes him in water. And as he comes up out of the water, we're told that the heavens open. And I'm not quite sure what that looks like, but I guarantee you it was spectacular. And the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove and remained on him, anointing him for the ministry that was about to begin, the three years of ministry that would bring him to the cross. And as the Holy Spirit descended upon him, a voice came from heaven, the Father's voice speaking 
And when you read it in different gospels, it says a slightly different thing. Sometimes it says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And in other gospels, it says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Either way, what was happening was the Father in heaven was affirming Jesus, his son, and he did it in a way that allowed people who were there to hear what had happened. In that moment of Jesus' baptism, we see a different kind of baptism. We see the Father, we see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit present. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, turning back to God. But the baptism that we practice in church flows out of this moment with Jesus, and it's a Trinitarian baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of Jesus is the first time we see something as distinct and as intentional as that. And so we practice baptism today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Doesn't answer the question, though, why did Jesus have to get baptized? And the only clue we have is when John says, Jesus, this is weird. You should be baptizing me. Why are we doing this? Paraphrasing. Jesus looks at him and says, it has to happen this way to fulfill all righteousness. It has to happen this way to fulfill all righteousness. It's the only clue we get. What does he mean? The whole story of the Old Testament was about a people who God had chosen for himself, who had sinned and fallen away, and God says to them, I am going to make a way for you to come back to me. And in the Old Testament, it was a system of laws they had to keep and sacrifices they had to offer to make themselves right righteous before God. And yet they all they continually fell short of God's standard. They tried to follow the laws. They tried to offer the sacrifices. They, they, they would get it right for a while and then they would get it wrong and fall away. They couldn't make themselves right. And Jesus comes along and he says, this is me fulfilling all righteousness. All of the Old Testament stuff is pointing to this moment. I am the fulfillment of what you've been waiting for. I am the one who is going to forgive your sins. I am the one who is going to be the perfect sacrifice. I am the the one who is going to be the high priest. I am. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises. It's coming true in me for all eternity. You see, Jesus baptism, just like the rest of his life, did two things. It was an authentication of who he was, and it was a demonstration of what our lives need to look like. It was an authentication of who he was. If he was going to go to the cross and be the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away your sins and my sins and the sins of the world, then he couldn't just be an ordinary bloke who made tables in Nazareth. He could tell a few good stories. He had to be the divine son of God come amongst us in human form. And at his baptism, we see authenticated the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all present. This is my son whom I love. He would one day go to the cross. Jesus' baptism was an authentication of who he was. But it was also a demonstration of the life that he was inviting his followers to step into. He says, I'm getting baptized because I need you to get baptized. 
I am demonstrating throughout his life a a level of intimacy and prayer with the Father because it's important for you guys to do that as well. I am listening for my Father's voice because as my followers, I want you to listen for the Father's voice. I am living a life of just unbridled compassion, unrestrained compassion for those around me because that's what it looks like to follow me. You live a life of compassion, loving others. I'm going to live a life, Jesus says, of sacrificial love that will one day cost me everything. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. You pick up your cross and you follow after him and it is hard. It is beautiful, but it is hard and it is sacrificial. Jesus says, I'm going to forgive my enemies. We don't get to hold on to grudges. We have to live a life that he demonstrated. We have to practice forgiveness. Evangelism, pointing people to the Father. Praying for healing. Jesus did it. We must do it as well. And yeah, baptism. Jesus did it because he wanted us to do it. Jesus' baptism authenticates who he is and it demonstrates what we are supposed to do. So you're saying, Gareth, that's cool. Okay. I'm on board with that. Mostly, anyway. But surely then, if Jesus' baptism is a demonstration of what we're meant to do, then we should get baptized as adults. Jesus was an adult, about 30 years old. Then surely we should be adults when we get baptized. And didn't Peter say in Acts chapter 2 at the back end of his amazing sermon on the day of Pentecost, believe and be baptized every one of you. So surely belief and repentance should come first and then baptism should be the sign of that. And a lot of churches, a lot of churches that I love, that's that's their doctrine, that's what they believe. And I know for a lot of you guys in Orangefield, that's what you believe as well. And and I'm not saying you're wrong. Please don't hear that. There is space in this congregation of people to have different understandings on this. But what I want to do is show you more fully what we believe as Presbyterians. Because we do baptize adults. We do believe that, that for somebody who's not baptized, who becomes a Christian and as a teenager, as an adult, we will baptize them. Sprinkling, pouring, dunking, we can talk about all of that, but we will baptize you as an adult. There's no problem with that. But we also baptize children whose parents are Christians. If parents aren't Christians, we offer a service of thanksgiving and blessing Uh, It's not baptism, but we want to pray for you and bless you and thank God for your child. But for Christian parents, where one or both of the parents are Christians, Jesus followers, we offer baptism because of the promises that the parents can make. And the reason we do this, the reason we don't just baptize adults, but we baptize the children of believing parents as well, is because we take our theological position on this not just from the New Testament and not just from a few verses in the New Testament, but from the whole story of Scripture. Because what we're saying in this Bible series, what we believe is that this is one story. It's not two different stories. It's one story. And the story we live in is the story we live out. We want this story of Scripture to shape every part of us. And so to understand where this came from in the Old Testament... 
You've got to go right back into Genesis. Do you notice how so much of what we do and believe today goes right back to Genesis? You go right back to Genesis, to Genesis chapter 12, to the story of Abraham. And God chooses Abraham, who's this older guy, doesn't have any kids, and he says to him, if you trust me and follow me, I am going to love you and choose you and bless you and give you land and give you descendants. And I am going to work out my salvation plan for all of history and all of creation and all of humanity through your family, through you. I will be with you. I will love you. I will never ever let you go. God made this promise to Abraham, and he said to Abraham, the sign of that promise is circumcision. Just, let's just pause there for a second. Let's just smile for a second. Can you imagine, I rocked up this morning, I said, guys, Orangeville, I've had the best quiet time this morning. God showed up in my living room, he spoke to me, and he said, if we're going to go to the next level as a church to be a church that is blessed and a church that blesses others, we've got to all get circumcised. Come on. That's what happens. Abraham said, okay. If you're wondering about circumcision, phone Gary Ball after the service. He'll tell you all about it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, okay. Back on track. God makes this promise with Abraham. The sign of the promise was circumcision. And so Abraham trusted God, even though he had no land, even though he had no children, even though he was quite old, he trusted God. He believed God. He turned to God. He followed God. And he was circumcised as a sign of his belief. And then... A few years later, Abraham had a kid called Isaac, a little baby. And Isaac was circumcised when he was eight days old. Now, I know some of you have beautiful babies out there, and I know some of you have really advanced babies, but let's be honest, at eight days old, your baby can't find their belly button, let alone articulate Trinitarian theology and uh, a doctrine of justification by faith alone. There's no way you can do it. You can't even count your toes. You don't even know where they are when you're eight days old. Isaac was circumcised when he was eight days old and belief for Isaac came years later. Abraham believed and was circumcised as a sign of the belief and the promise of God. Isaac was circumcised and belief came later. Both Abraham and Isaac were circumcised because circumcision was the sign, not of faith. It was the sign of God's promise. That's important. Circumcision wasn't the sign of faith. It was the sign of God's promise. But the promise wasn't fulfilled in the moments when circumcision happened. The promise was fulfilled when belief became real for the individual. Circumcision was the sign of the promise, but the promise only came true. It was only fulfilled when circumcision, sorry, when belief happened. And this is key. For 1,500 years, this was the way God identified his people. 
He made a promise over them. And circumcision was the sign of the promise that God's people and their children were marked by. Their sons were marked by, I should say. But the promise only came to fulfillment when that individual believed. That's important. And then you move into the New Testament. Where are we? Okay. We move into the New Testament and something shifts and it ceases to be an old covenant that we call it of law and sacrifice and Jesus comes, is baptized, lives, ministers, blesses and then he gives his life on the cross as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus says we don't need to have this whole sacrificial system where faith and obedience are tied up together. I will become the sacrifice. I will become the sacrifice for your sins and you have to believe in me. It's a free gift of grace. You are forgiven not because of what you do. You are forgiven by trusting what Jesus has done for you. There's a new promise. And with a new promise comes a new sign. It ceases to be circumcision. It starts to be baptism with water. Baptism is the sign of the new promise that God makes through Jesus' death and resurrection over his people, over his people. And some of you are saying, Gareth, yeah, we, we believe all that, but let's be fair, nowhere in the New Testament does it say, nowhere does it say, Baptize kids. You're right. 100%. But nowhere does it say, don't baptize children. Show me that verse. And after 1,500 years of God's people believing that God's promise was for them and their children... I can't help but think if he was going to stop making that promise over the children, then he would have said something. There's a whole bunch of baptisms in the New Testament. People who, first generation Christians, that's important. They weren't Christians before that because Jesus had just done something new. So they get baptized as a sign of this new promise. In a quarter of those baptisms, there's a really interesting word that's used. We're told that the individual was baptized and there, the Greek word oikos, which means household. The people in their family were baptized. So that the head of the house became a Christian and their oikos was baptized. The head of the family became a Christian and a quarter of those baptisms, what we're reading is the children were baptized as well because of the faith of the parent. Because God's promise was for them and their kids. But didn't Peter say in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, believe and be baptized? Yeah, he did. But there was no punctuation in those days and in the same sentence, the same breath, the same line in your Bible. He says, this promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off. It's interesting. Let me show you it this way. I'm going to move about the stage, giving the camera guys a heads up. 
We baptize babies of parents who are Christians. And we do it by looking to the cross and looking to the cross and saying, Jesus, I believe that you died for the sins of the world and I believe that you died for the sins of my son, my daughter. And I believe your promise of forgiveness is not just for me, but it's for my child as well. And the promise isn't fulfilled when the baptism happens. The, the promise is fulfilled when my son, daughter grows up and gives their life to Jesus. But the sign of the promise is given to Christians and their, parents, and their, their children. And then come with me over here. Because we also baptize adults, people who have walked and become Christians. And, and, and we baptize adults as well, who have given their life to Jesus. But in the moment of baptism, that's not the moment salvation happens. That's not the moment the promise is fulfilled. Because the promise is fulfilled for that person back here somewhere when they stepped into faith with Jesus, when they give their life to Jesus. And then later they get baptized and, and they're looking to the cross and they're looking to the promise that God gives that isn't fulfilled in the moment of baptism. The baptism is only the promise of it. Does that make sense? So whether you're baptized here or whether you're baptized there, your eyes are on Jesus, the one who makes the promise over you. And the promise is only fulfilled in the moment of, you, moment of belief, just like in circumcision. I love, I love, and I am convinced by the theology of infant baptism for two reasons. One, the, the theology of it. God chooses us before we choose him. We're told in Scripture that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God chooses us before we choose him. And here's the second reason I love it. And this is to do with discipleship. I love the picture it gives to a family and to the gathered church body that when they stand at the front of a church with their, with their newborn kid and they look at the cross and they say, God, I believe not only that you can save my son and daughter, I believe that you will. And in faith, I step into that with you now. And I do it in front of my brothers and sisters. That's a risk. But I love it. I love it. I love it. Let me share a couple more things just as we bring this to a close. Won't take very long. Let me get a drink of water first. You're all having coffee at home. I only get water. Can you imagine if I had coffee here? I'd be preaching all day. <laughs> be great. Baptism is so important. Baptism is so important. It's an objective reality within our faith. There's this beautiful story about Martin Luther, the reformer that kicked off the Reformation, that, that, that birthed the Reformed Church, the, the, the Protestant Church. Um, there's this story that, that he, he's written about in some of his memoirs, about sitting in his little um, room, his little stone cell, in the monastery where he lived and sitting at his desk and he says in moments of feeling completely overwhelmed by the weight of his own sin in moments when he's tempted to give up on what he's doing in moments where um, doubting 
himself and doubting that he can do what God's asked him to do and doubting that he's good enough for it. He, he writes on his desk, Baptizes some. In English, I am baptized. And he sits in prayer. He says, as Satan wrestles with me, forcing me to give up, overwhelming me with the weight of my own sin, I would sit in prayer and read those words, I am baptized, I am baptized, I am baptized, I am baptized. What's he saying? God has chosen me. God loves me. Sometimes, guys, our faith can feel really subjective, can't it? You haven't been in a church building for a year. You haven't touched another Christian for a year. Maybe you're feeling completely forgotten about, forgotten about by God, forgotten about by, by other Christians. Maybe you're struggling with sin, with addiction, with, with the same patterns of mistakes again and again and again. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you, your faith feels like it's crumbling. And baptism invites us to lift our eyes to the cross. And to see that God loves you and God chooses you. And, and, and God forgives your sins if you come to him. And it's not based on your level of obedience. And it's not based on your feelings and your emotions. It's an object of truth that happened in history. And if you've been baptized, it is proof of the promise that God makes over your life. Some of you need to hear this morning. You are loved. God loves you. Jesus died for you. Life is hard, but you're not on your own. Luther sat at his desk saying, I am baptized. Please know that you are loved. Please know that if you're a Christian, you are forgiven already. And if you're not, you need only turn to him and ask. I want to share one more thing with you. Where's Maddie? Come on up. I've asked Maddie to share a story just for a couple of minutes. Knock your mic on there, mate, and the floor's yours. Good morning, Orangefield. Um, yeah, Gareth has just asked me to share this, this morning about someone who has sort of helped me spiritually. Um, I've always been in, when I was in Orangefield, I was baptized here as a child. Mum um, and dad have brought me along. I've been through all the organizations like Salt, Crumbs, Sniff, BB. And just through being around the place and being friends with mum and dad, and there's been a lot of people in my life who've always had a big presence on me. There's like an orange, there used to be like an orange field caravan and camping club where people like the Jennings, the Webbs, the Bruntons, the Hearts, and the, the Boyds were, would always be always have been about. Um, John and Maureen have always had a big influence in my life. Um, John Boyd, big massive character in BB. Um, was always been there, has always sort of guided me through my faith journey. Um, really funny story about Duke of Ed. Um, John would always be there at the top of the mountain with a big bag of sweets and more, and would never be that far behind. So I suppose spiritually, John would always kind of help you move up, up a mountain. Um, but more spiritually, kind of 2015, um, I was kind of coming towards the, my last year at uni, um, Final year, ready to move into like the big light, big bad world, um, and yeah, I just kind of wanted to take my my spiritual journey a bit further forward. Um, always was a Christian, but didn't really know what it was like to live out life properly. And I remember vividly um, going for prayer ministry on like the last night of jam that year, and 
there were John and Maureen both there, and they spent sort of 20, 30 minutes just sitting praying with me, with me, ministering to me, blessing me. And really from that, my life kind of went on a different tangent. Um, I was a lot more confident about my faith. I was able to share a lot more about my Christian journey. And as a result, I was able to have a much bigger role in leadership in church and being able to sort of help minister and help other people grow up. And it's through sort of support and faith and like prayer through people like John um, and Maureen. It's really just helped me mold into the person I am today. And even just like silly things, like I mentioned the Brunt, like the Bruntons, like I walked into the church this morning and Eric and Ruby were like straight over. And we're like, oh, Maddie, like, how's it going? And like with me getting married in like a couple of weeks' time, um, just those constant messages through from older people who made that promise over me as a child. It just means so, so much, so... Maddie, thank you so much for sharing that. Why did I ask Maddie to share it? Because baptism is not about me as an individual. And baptism is not about you as an individual. Baptism is about us as a church here on earth, gathered in Orangefield. And when we baptize, whether it's a baby or an adult, the whole congregation makes a promise. It doesn't happen in secret. And they promise to love and support and disciple and pray for. And 15 years after John and Maureen Boyd made a promise at Maddie's baptism, they they laid hands on him and prayed for him at the end of a jam service and did prayer ministry with him. They had fun with him. They walked with him. They encouraged him. They still do to this day because that's what it looks like to be a church that baptizes. It's a communal thing. We take responsibility for one another's faith. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's always about us. It's multi-generational and it's committing ourselves to promising to walk with the people around us. And this is where I want to land this this morning. It's easy to do that when it's someone who's coming to church every Sunday and who's walking with the Lord. But in Orangefield's 86 or almost 86 years, we have baptized a lot of kids whose parents have done their absolute best, whose Sunday school teachers have done their absolute best, and yet today those kids aren't part of a church and haven't got a personal faith. Just because they're not coming and just because their faith isn't active at the minute doesn't mean the promise that God made over them and the promise that we as a church made over them is any less real. And here's the response today. Who are you aware of who has grown up here in Orangefield? Maybe was baptized, maybe not, but let's say they were. Who you made a promise over, who I made a promise over, who today is not walking with the Lord. How can we reach out? How can we love? How can we bless that individual, those families, to tell them we still think of you, we still pray for you, we still love you? I know some of those names, you know more of them. But that's where we're going to land the sermon today and a promise that we have made, and a promise that God has made. And we look to the cross And we say, Lord, we want to see that promise fulfilled in the lives of those individuals and those families. I'm going to invite the band to come back on stage.
Let me lead us in prayer really simply this morning. This whole sermon, Lord, has been about looking to the cross. And so I pray first and foremost for for anybody today who has never looked to you and found salvation or who has backslidden and is trying to find their way back. If you want to become a Christian this morning, pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you lived and died and rose again. Thank you that your death on the cross is the price for the forgiveness of my sins. I am sorry I turn to you. Forgive me, fill me, and make me your child. Father, we also want to pray for the lost sheep of Orangefield, for those who have wandered away. And there's no judgment from us. But we open the door and we open our hearts. Lord, we we, we don't just stand waiting for people to come back. But you give us this picture of of you as a shepherd leaving the 99 and stepping out in search of the lost one. God, lay the name of one lost sheep on our hearts this morning and show us as individual parts of your body here in Orangefield what it looks like to step out and to love and to bless and to help that person find their way home to you. We made promises, God. We believe that you made promises as well. We claim those promises. We long to see their fulfillment. We long to see your children brought back home. In Jesus' name, amen.